So tonight I will pick up the topic from last week's talk and elaborate a bit more upon the relationship between the defilements and the three trainings. Last week I mentioned different types of defilements. The party words, party word for it is kilesa. And I mentioned with which training these defilements can be abandoned. So I differentiated between the defilements manifested as physical actions, then the defilements manifested as verbal actions, which means as speech, the defilements manifested as mental action, which means thoughts, emotions, and the so-called latent defilements. And as we have seen, the defilements manifested as physical and verbal actions, they can be abandoned through the training in sila, which means virtue. And that means by leading a virtuous life. Ethical guidelines tell us what is considered to be virtuous or blameless. And the Buddha proposed to keep five basic ethical guidelines in order to be a decent human being. Then the defilements manifested as mental actions, as thoughts, they can be weakened or suppressed through the training in samadhi, which means concentration. And lastly, the latent defilements, they can be abandoned through the training in wisdom or panya. They can be abandoned temporarily through the understanding resulting from the practice of vipassana meditation. This is the so-called vipassana wisdom, vipassana panya. And these latent defilements can be completely uprooted with the four stages of path knowledge. This then is referred to as the um, maga panya, the wisdom uh, of the past knowledge. So today we'll have a closer look at these different types of defilements and how they can be abandoned through their respective training. First a few words on the defilements, as I said, the kilesas in Pali. They are defined in the following ways, as that which defiles the mind, or those states that soil the mind, that make it dirty, that destroy the purity of the mind. And when it said 
they destroy the purity of the mind, then this actually implies that the mind in its original, original nature is pure or undefiled. And that implies that we can achieve to such a state of an undefiled mind. Or the defilements are defined as the tormenting states of mind. Or they are called mental affliction. A friend of mine, who is also a Dhamma teacher, he um, scanned the whole Pali Canon, the Buddha's teaching, together with its commentaries and sub-commentaries to look how many times the word kilesa is found there. And it came up to 2,100 times. At the time of the Buddha, various monks um, went to the nuns, the bhikkhunis, and gave them teachings. And at one time, a monk called Venerable Nandaka, he uh, gave a teaching to a group of bhikkhunis, of nuns, and he said, Sisters, suppose a skilled butcher were to kill a cow and carve it up with a sharp butcher's knife. And then he went on to explain how the cow um, was carved up. And then later on in the teaching, he said, the sharp butcher's knife, this is a term for noble wisdom. The noble wisdom that cuts, severs, and carves away the inner defilements, the fetters and bonds. It's interesting to know that, like in Tibetan Buddhism, there are different Buddhas who represent the different qualities of the awakened mind. So, for example, there is the Buddha Avalokiteshvara. This one is depicted with 1,000 arms and 1,000 eyes. And he represents, represents the Buddha's great compassion. Or there is the Buddha Manjushri. And he represents the aspect of the Buddha's perfect wisdom. And usually Manjushri is depicted with a book on his left side of the body and holding a sword in his right hand. So the book represents the Buddha's teaching and the sword in his right hand um, illustrates like the, the noble wisdom that cuts through the defilements, that cuts through ignorance or delusion.
there is also another way to classify the defilements. Uh, it's classifying them in three different levels. The first level is called the transgressive defilements. And this is the coarsest level of defilements. And that's the level where they motivate unwholesome bodily and verbal actions. Then the next level is the so-called obsessive defilements. That's the medium level. And it's this level where the defilements rise up to obsess and to enslave the mind. That's why they're called obsessive defilements. And the third level, it's the so-called the latent defilements. This is the, the subtle level, and it's this level where the defilements remain as the mere latent dispositions in the mind, or the level where they dwell in the mind continuum as a potential to arise. And so these three levels of the defilements, they can be brought into relationship with the three uh, kinds of trainings. As we have seen the trainings of Sila, Samadhi and Panya, the trainings in virtue, concentration and wisdom. And so the transgressive defilements, they can be abandoned by Sila, the training in virtue. The medium level, the obsessive defilements, they can be abandoned by the training in samadhi, training in concentration. And the third level, the latent defilements, they can be abandoned by panya, the training in wisdom. So the training in virtue has the power to overcome or to uh, abandon the transgressive defilements, which means those defilements that result in actions of body or speech. And so what is considered to be defiled uh, bodily deeds? So first of all, there is the killing, the intentional killing of living beings. And this can be caused by various defilements. And the main uh, defilements, or the three root defilements, are the defilements of greed, hatred, and delusion. So, for example, the killing of a living being can be, can be rooted 
in the defilement of anger, like to dislike a person and therefore killing the person. Or it could be caused by irritation. So for example, the irritation caused by a mosquito bite. Killing can also be um, motivated by greed. For example, wanting the possession of another person and therefore killing this person. Or killing can come out of ignorance. For example, being told by one's parents. When I was young, we used to go for our holidays up into the Swiss mountains, um, an old farmhouse which we could rent. And it was up in a place in the mountains where the farmers had their cows grazing on the pastures. And where there are cows, there are also usually a lot of flies. And so whenever we came uh, to that old farmhouse, there were always hundreds of flies buzzing around inside the house. And of course, they were considered to be a nuisance. And so it was our job, my job and, and my two brothers' job, uh, to kill these flies with a fly swap. We couldn't drive up with the car to the house, so my parents, they would walk back and forth to carry all the luggage and all the food to the house. And the three of us, we were in the house with the fly swaps, killing flies. <laughs> and because our parents told us to do so, we, we did it and we thought this was a good thing to do. And the more flies we killed, the more praise we got from our parents. Oh, good kids, yes, well done. <laughs> Another defiled bodily action is taking what is not given or stealing. And again, this can be motivated by various defilements. So, can be triggered by anger. Again, an example. At other times, we would go to the southern part of Switzerland, bordering Italy, and there were <coughs> Uh, beautiful lakes and on some of these lakes uh, they had even sandy beaches and so my brothers and myself we would uh, build sand castles and I would make very beautiful ones elaborate ones but then um, one of my brothers would come and simply destroy my sand castles. Of course, I would get upset and angry at him, and so I would go and take his toy truck. Or 
stealing, taking what is not given, can be triggered by greed, wanting something uh, so badly. So one simply goes and takes it. Or it can also be triggered uh, by ignorance. For example, being unaware that making a few photocopies in the office is an act of stealing. Because it seems fine because everybody else is doing it as well in the office. So this is this grey area. It's not explicitly forbidden, but it's also not ex explicitly allowed. A Burmese woman that uh, is living in Australia, she said that in the place where she was working, this was happening. Everybody would make photocopies for the private use. And she said, you know, sometimes she also um, was doing it, but being aware that this was not ex uh, actually, you know, allowed. But then she said, so every now and again, then she would replace the paper uh, that she used or replace more paper than she actually used to make up also for the ink. Another defiled bodily action is sexual misconduct, which is intentionally engaging in sexual activities with a person who is married or in a committed relationship or with a person who is still a minor or what is socially and culturally considered to be sexual misconduct, like um, having sex before getting married. And mostly this kind of um, uh, transgression is caused by lust, by desire, having um, the arousing of sexual uh, energies or by seeing an attractive body. Then in regard to transgressions of speech, like defiled verbal deeds, there is the telling of lies, like intentionally not saying the truth. Again, this can be triggered by anger, by resentment, not wanting to let the other person know the truth. Or telling can be uh, based on greed, telling lies can, can be based on greed, of wanting selfish benefits. A long time ago, when I was a backpacker, I spent a summer in the Indian Himalayas, in Ladakh, and it borders Tibet, and Tibetan culture is prevalent there. And so also the Ladakhi people, their staple food 
is the buttered salted or the salted butter tea which they mix with zampa, the roasted barley flour. And this was something I very much liked. So I took a big bag of zampa with me when I left India and when I went to Australia. And I knew that one was not supposed to bring in food into Australia. But because I was so greedy for having this zampa with me, I filled in the form and ticked having no food with me. So, telling a lie. <laughs> or telling lies again uh, can be caused uh, through ignorance. Simply being oblivious of the consequences that lying can have and thinking that a white lie is not really so bad. Another defiled kind of speech is malicious speech, slandering, backbiting. And this, this is defined as crushing the harmony between people or between groups of people. This is speech that creates discord. Backbiting can be caused by anger, to be being angry with uh, the other party and therefore releasing wrong information. Even the Buddha uh, was the target of uh, malicious speech. At the time of the Buddha, there were many different teachers, different ascetics who exposed different doctrines. And so there was one group who was displeased with the Buddha's popularity. Their teacher, their teaching was not as popular as the Buddha's teaching. And so they released some wrong information about the Buddha. Um, saying that this young, attractive woman called Jinchamana had an affair with the Buddha and that she finally got pregnant from the Buddha. But, of course, then this plot was revealed and it actually only caused a greater popularity of the Buddha and his teaching. Another defiled verbal deed is rough and harsh speech. It's offensive speech. And this happens very easily when a person gets angry. Then this person's speech easily becomes very harsh and rough. Or it can also uh, be based on greed, to, because one, again, uh, has selfish uh, benefits. 
or rough speech can be based on ignorance. If the person has a rough temperament, then easily the speech can uh, sound rough and harsh. And the fourth kind of defiled speech is frivolous talk, which is gossiping or speech that has no benefits, speech that is worthless or unreasonable. And again, different defilements can uh, be the cause for this kind of speech. So, in regard to these defiled uh, actions of body and speech, it becomes obvious that by restraining one's actions of body and speech with the basic five ethical guidelines, then one does not act out the defilements on the level of bodily or verbal actions. And so, as a result, the defilements do not become the transgressive defilements. To maintain our sila, we need the determination to keep our sila as pure as possible. And to do so, we also need to be attentive and mindful to refrain from uh, doing what is against the precepts. So if you are able to refrain from killing a mosquito, for example, then we are able to prevent a transgressive defilement from happening. However, the defilement, in this case, it might be the aversion towards the mosquito, so this defilement of aversion is still manifested on the mental level. So it can still manifest as an obsessive defilement. So the training in sila, in virtue, has the power to remove or to prevent the transgressive defilements. Those defilements that result in bodily or verbal actions. And so, by keeping the ethical guidelines, then one is not acting out these defilements. On a very basic level, the ethical guidelines assure a harmonious relationship with other living beings. So they prevent ourselves and others from experiencing harm, injury or mental affliction. But on a more profound level, the five precepts are a first step to clear our mind from the most coarse level of the defilements. And this is necessary if we want to progress to the higher levels of mental purification and if we want to achieve final liberation.
Then the second training, the training in Samadhi, in concentration, this has the power to weaken, to overcome, or to remove the, the obsessive defilements, like those defilements that arise in the mind as thoughts or emotions. And this is a temporary removal or weakening that comes about through deep levels of concentration. A concentrated mind has the power to suppress these defilements for the time being. Concentration can keep them at bay. And so through the deeply concentrated mind, the defilements are blocked from arising. And when the mind is free from the defilements, one speaks of a secluded mind, secluded from the defilements. And this secluded mind is a very powerful state of mind. On the one hand, it brings about a happiness that is far better than the happiness which is attained through the gratification of sense pleasures. And on the other hand, it proves to be a powerful base for the practice of vipassana meditation as it brings about great clarity, one-pointedness and a sharpness into the mind. And these qualities are necessary to see things as they really are. This seclusion of mind refers to either a state of deep concentration achieved by jhana, or it refers to the momentary concentration achieved by a vipassana meditator. In regard to the jhanas, this secluded mind is described in the following way, and this is in regard to the first jhana. Quite secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, a bhikkhu, a monk or a meditator, enters upon and abides in the first jhana, which is accompanied by applied and sustained thought, with rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. So these obsessive defilements are these defilements which arise in the mind and afflict us in various ways. And most of the time this is the kind of the defilements that we are observing in our meditation practice. So for example, uh, we might have greedy thoughts in regard to food, having fantasies of um, what kind of food we are going to eat once we are out of retreat. 
or even reading the menu in the dining hall might trigger greed for this upcoming delicious lunch. Or we might have to deal with angry thoughts, with anger, aversion, because a memory of something that happened 10 years ago again brings up these angry thoughts. Or there might be this complete uh, restlessness in the mind because we checked our mobile phones and checked the message. Or there might be a defilement of sluggishness, maybe after uh, a heavy meal or having eaten too much. Or the defilement of worry, worrying about the dog at home. Or there might be this frustration in the mind, frustration about the fact that the pain has still not disappeared. Or I remember so vividly how I was obsessed with the desire to sit on a chair. And this happened when I first went to Burma almost 20 years ago. Practicing with Saido Ujanaka in his main center in Yangon. And All the time, um, we had to sit on the floor, like, of course, in the meditation hall, there were no chairs to sit on. In the dining hall, the meditators were sitting on the floor, on low tables. And even in the room, there was no chair. There would have been no space to even put a chair. I had to share the room with another meditator and the room was just big enough for two beds and maybe two feet around or between the two beds. But in the meditation hall at the very front, there was this row of chairs. <laughs> and of course, they were reserved for the monks. In the middle was this big throne for the monk who would give the Dhamma talk. And then there were these kind of regular chairs next to it, and they were only used when there were certain ceremonies where kind of all of the residential monks had to be present. And so having to deal with quite a lot of physical pain because of sitting on the floor all the time, I started to be obsessed with this thought, if only I could sit on a chair, how nice that would feel. <gasps> and like the meditation hall with the chairs was the one downstairs where the women were meditating and where the Burmese yogis would have their Dhamma talks in the afternoon. And so we foreign women or nuns, then in the afternoon we had to go upstairs to the men's hall because all the Burmese men then would go downstairs to listen to the talk. 
But then at one stage, they were drilling a well next to this meditation hall. And of course, it was incredibly noisy. This big uh, machine drilling. And so because it was so loud, the Burmese meditators had their Dhamma talk in the dining hall, which was further away from it. And so we foreign women, we could stay in the meditation hall downstairs in the afternoons, having next to us this loud machine. And of course it was <laughs> quite something, quite a challenge. First of all, there was the noise and it was a wooden floor in the hall. And so from this drilling, the whole wooden floor was vibrating. And actually, it, the whole vibrations could be felt in the body. And so <laughs> I simply turned it around and thought, great, having a massage <laughs> sitting there, getting this. But then my obsessive thoughts about sitting on a chair uh, were getting stronger because um, I thought, well, if nobody was around, no Burmese people, I maybe could sneak up and sit <laughs> on a chair. And so one afternoon, as I could no longer hold it back, I looked around, no Burmese people were around, I sneaked up, nobody there, no. I sat on the chair and I expected to have this but I was so utterly frustrated and disappointed because to sit on this chair did not bring the expected kind of relief and happiness or joy. It was just, ah, oh, that's all. <laughs> but anyway, with that, my obsessive thoughts of how nice it would be to sit on a chair, they were gone, <laughs> didn't occur anymore. Then the third training is the training in wisdom, panya. And this has the power to uproot the latent defilements. These latent defilements are also called underlying tendencies because they have not yet been abandoned in the mental continuum of a living being. And because they are present in the mind as a dormant or underlying tendency, they are capable of arising whenever a suitable object presents itself. And so then from this level of being dormant, they can arise and become an obsessive defilement or a transgressive defilement. So for example, an ad for a new movie can trigger obsessive thoughts that we must go and see that movie. As one cannot miss to see this movie, one tries to fit it into the tight schedule. 
wondering if one could postpone the meeting with one's elderly aunt, or if one should skip the workout in the gym, or... And so all these thoughts of how one could make it possible to go and see the movie, this would be uh, obsessive defilements. So they just happen on the mental uh, level in the mind. But then, when one finally decides to postpone the meeting with uh, the aunt by telling her that one doesn't feel uh, very well, then this would become a transgressive defilement, resorting um, to tell a lie because thinking the, uh, the aunt would not understand that seeing a movie was more important than meeting up with her. So in this case, the ad for this movie triggered the latent defilement of greed to erupt. First it became an obsessive defilement and then even a transgressive one. Before seeing this ad, there was no desire to see the movie. Although desire was not present or obvious, still it was dormant in the continuum of the mind. It was there as a, pot a potential or it was there as a possibility to manifest in an obvious and distinct way, that is, as a thought or as an action. And so it was this ad that functioned as the necessary trigger to arouse this defilement. So the ad woke up this defilement from its dormant state, and so it became an active state. In many cases, the arising of a latent defilement into an active state as an obsessive defilement or transgressive defilement, this has to do with the feeling tone, with Vedana. Like each experience is accompanied by a feeling tone. The experience is either pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. In this regard, we have this interesting conversation between a nun called Venerable Dhammadina and a man called Visaka. And actually, uh, it was her former husband. And so one time, uh, Visaka went to see Venerable Dhammadina to ask her some questions. And so he asked, Venerable, what latent defilement underlies pleasant feeling? 
what latent defilement underlies unpleasant feeling and what latent defilement underlies neutral feeling. And Venerable Damadina answered, the latent defilement to desire underlies pleasant feeling. The latent defilement to aversion underlies unpleasant feeling. And the latent defilement to ignorance underlies neutral feeling. And then Visakha wanted to know, Venerable, does the latent defilement to desire underlie all, kai, all pleasant feelings? And the same uh, in regard to unpleasant feeling, like the latent defilement to aversion, does it underlie all unpleasant feeling? And the underlying defilement to ignorance, does it underlie all uh, neutral feeling? And Venerable Dhammadina said, the latent defilement to desire does not underlie all pleasant feeling. The latent defilement to aversion does not underlie all unpleasant feeling. And the latent defilement to ignorance does not underlie all neutral feeling. And so this answers like the latent defilement to desire does not underlie all pleasant feeling uh, is pointing to the important fact that feeling does not necessarily give rise to the defilements. Otherwise, liberation would not be possible. We know that feeling arises with each moment of consciousness in any given experience. And so if each feeling would give rise to a defilement, then the freedom from the defilements would not be possible. So the fact is that feelings uh, can arise without giving rise to a defilement. And this makes liberation possible. And so, in this regard to the possibility of attaining liberation, the Buddha said, the latent defilement uh, of desire should be abandoned in regard to pleasant feeling. The latent defilement of aversion should be abandoned in regard to unpleasant feeling. And the latent defilement of ignorance should be abandoned in regard to neutral feeling. So we have seen these latent defilements, they dwell in the continuum of the mind 
as a potentiality, as a possibility to arise. And so basically, as long as one is not yet an arahant, fully liberated, there are latent defilements in the mind. So these are the latent defilements in their general uh, sense. To make things a bit more complicated, there is a more specific kind of latent defilements. And this is called the latent defilement lying dormant in the object. This is only a figurative way of speaking because the defilement can never be out there in the object. The defilement is always happening in the mind. So, this uh, more specific kind of latent defilements. So they are explained as the defilements that dwell in the objects when the objects are not mindfully observed. And this means whenever an object is not rightly understood as being impermanent, unsatisfactory and not self, then the object is taken to be permanent, satisfactory, and as a self. And so based on this misperception, then the defilements arise. And it is said that it is this kind of latent defilement, the latent defilement that dwells in the object, this one can be abandoned through the practice of vipassana meditation. But to bring about the complete destruction of these latent defilements, uh, that needs the past knowledge, the experiences of the different stages of enlightenment. So to give an example of how this latent defilement dwelling in the object can be abandoned through vipassana. So for example, there is this painful sensation in the knee. And so we pay attention to this pain in the knee. We are mindfully observing it and so we might experience this pain as waves of pain that come and go. Or if we penetrate even deeper into it with sharper mindfulness and with better concentration, we can see little dots of pain arising and passing away very quickly. It's not anymore this solid chunk of pain which is experienced, but it has uh, fallen apart into these little, uh, little dots of pain and one sees them arising and disappearing 
uh, one after the other very quickly. And so in this way, one can see the pain is impermanent. It's nothing everlasting. It's nothing solid. So one sees the characteristic of impermanence. And being mindful of uh, this pain, it's very obvious that it is uh, unpleasant, painful. So we see it's unsatisfactory nature. We see it's not a base for permanent happiness. And so with this we come to see the second characteristic of unsatisfactoriness. And being mindful of the pain in this way, we realize that it is just a natural process of painful sensations happening on their own accord. Like we cannot control them. We can't exercise mastery over it. We, have, we don't have the power to make this pain go away instantly on the spot. And so we come to see this experience of pain as a natural process. We see its impersonal nature. We see the not-self nature of it. And so with that we see this pain uh, in the right way. We are no longer deluded about it. And so seeing it um, as it really is, there is no reaction in the mind, no aversion to this unpleasant experience, no frustration because the pain is still there. And so in this um, case, mindfully observing uh, the pain, the object, then the defilement do not arise. And so the defilement dwelling in the object has no chance to arise because the object is understood in its uh, true nature. And so being free from the defilement lying dormant in the object means we are also free from the obsessive defilements, free from the transgressive defilements. And so this latent defilement dwelling in the object is temporarily abandoned through the practice of vipassana meditation. And this comes about through a right understanding of things as they truly are. The other kind of latent defilements, like the, the one more in the general sense, just latent potentialities that are there in the continuum of the mind, they can only be uprooted uh, by the path knowledge. And this 
latent defilements, they can be compared to the situation of a person who has malaria. So one is considered to be sick as long as one, has, as long as one is not completely cured of malaria. And even though this person might not be experiencing an attack of fever, still the person is still considered uh, to have malaria. Or if a person who usually eats meat is asked, do you eat meat? then the answer would be, yes, I eat meat. Although the person is not eating meat at the very moment, but because the person has been eating meat and is also continuing uh, to eat meat, so then the person would say, yes, I eat meat. So regarding these latent defilements, the Buddha said to a monk called Malunkya Buddha, a young tender infant lying prone does not even have the notion sensual pleasures. So how could sensual desire arise in him? And yet the latent defilement to desire lies within him. And another example the Buddha used, a young tender infant lying prone does not even have the notion teachings. So how could doubt about the teachings arise in him or her? Yet the latent defilement to doubt lies within him or her. Last week, I started the Dhamma talk with the question, why should we practice Vipassana meditation? And the answer was, because this is a practice that simply needs to be done, or because it is a practice that cannot be left undone. And the reason for this being so is the fact that the source of our dissatisfaction and unhappiness can only be eliminated through the past knowledge. And past knowledge comes about through the practice of Vipassana meditation. The sources of unhappiness and dissatisfaction are basically craving, craving based on ignorance. And together with that, all the others, other defilements that um, are present. Craving, ignorance, and all the other defilements 
such as aversion, um, pride, haughtiness, and so on. Um, all these defilements, they can manifest on the three levels, like as transgression, or as obsession, or as a latent tendency. And we have seen that the three trainings, the trainings of Sila, Samadhi and Panya, the trainings in virtue, concentration and wisdom, they have the potential to abandon the defilements. And the, def the abandonment is either temporary or complete. As I also mentioned uh, last week, usually the Burmese people are very delighted when somebody practices meditation, exclaiming, oh, you're doing the best thing. There is nothing more precious that you can do in your life. And this points to the importance and absolute necessity to engage in this practice. All of you are actually engaging now in this practice, walking this ancient path to liberation. And this is an incredibly noble endeavor which will naturally give rise to the highest benefits, namely to the liberation of all the defilements and the attainment of the highest happiness and peace. Let's sit quietly for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.